Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. As regular listeners already know, season four of Below the Line is focused on awards season. And this is the third of three episodes where we discuss projects nominated by the Directors Guild of America, or DGA. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the television categories. We're not going to intentionally spoil anything, but it happens sometimes, so please consider this a spoiler warning. Once again, we have the honor of returning guests. Katie Carroll, member of the DGA, welcome back. Thanks, Skid. Bill Hardy, member of the DGA, also welcome back. Hey, Skid. And then Sean O'Banion, not a member of the DGA, but a member of the Producers Guild of America. I feel I feel bad about not being DGA. Is that is that weird? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, we're just not telling you how we feel. Really. <laughs> now, Sean, I do like to point out that you're not a member of the DGA because if we don't like what you're saying, we can be dismissive of your contributions. Since this is technically a DGA episode, but uh, that Absolutely. aside, we're happy. Thanks for, for welcoming me to the party. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, turn our attention to the television categories. At the top of the list, uh, dramatic series. The nominees are Nicole Castle for the Watchmen episode, It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice. Mark Myloid for Succession, the episode, This Is Not for Tears. David Nutter for the Game of Thrones episode, The Last of the Starks. Miguel Sapolechnik. Crap, guys. It's, uh, his name is uh, Sapochnik. Sapochnik. Yeah. Miguel Sapochnik for the Game of Thrones episode, The Long Night. And Stephen Williams for the Watchmen episode, This Extraordinary Beam. Now, it's worth noting that on... So it's worth noting that for the DGA and Dramatic series, and this will be for other series as well, you're nominating not the series, but a specific episode. Because as, well, anyone who's been on set knows, because typically in television, the director rotates. While you do have a crew, the director comes in for one episode or maybe multiple episodes. At most, generally, it'll be every third episode because while they're prepping, you're shooting another episode. And when they're editing, you've already moved on. And so it's not possible for directors to do multiple episodes unless you schedule it either filming or editing or post in a way that it breaks down. It does happen that a single director can do an entire series, but generally that's like shooting a movie basically, or just over more time. We'll discuss that in more detail later. What's interesting in the way it works, I think for voting is that it, I think it's an open question whether people remember specific episodes and what was amazing about them or whether folks do sort of vote on the series they like, and if in that case, if popular series end up getting their vote split. But let's do these in order and see, actually, let's not do them in order, guys. Let's just actually have a conversation about it and see. Yeah. But, but, One but thing let's I want to point out, well, they're all eight, sorry, sorry, Skid, go ahead. Yeah, because I want whatever you point out to actually be captured, and I've been hacking this up, so. <laughs> Fair enough. But let's talk specifically about these episodes. Guys, what do you think about the nominees in Dramatic Series? Well, one thing I want to point out, they're all HBO shows. And HBO is killing it in TV. I mean, these are all excellent TV shows. I don't have a bone to pick with any of these nominees. And HBO is kicking ass in TV. That's uh, two points there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, I hadn't even realized it since you said that. And in the last podcast, I said something. Uh, I was talking about uh, Bob Richards, and and I said something uh, off color about TV production versus film production, and made me feel bad because I was thinking about these shows. And uh, you know, I guess it goes to show. It's you know, it's it's not TV. It's HBO. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so Skid, do you want to kind of die? I, I can't speak to Watchmen. I've I've sort of held off watching it because I don't think I can get through um, all of it. Um, and and actually, Look, you just have to read the comic book. Just read the comic book and then watch the movie. And then you know, it's just about twelve hours of prep work. <laughs> well, and I've seen I, I have seen episodes. the movie. I have seen the movie. I never read the graphic novel, but I am interested. I like Damon Lindelof's uh, other work in television. I am interested in it. Um, I love Regina King, but I'm also, you know, sort of well versed into this Netflix thing of binging. Um, and therefore I wait for a lot of these HBO shows to get four or five episodes ahead. And then I can watch like two in a block, two in a block. Um, so I have not gotten around to Watchmen yet, but I can talk about Succession and, and certainly Game of Thrones. And I also have not watched Watchmen, not because I don't want to, I can't wait, but I knew I was going to be in Mexico when it ended, and I can't watch my HBO link here. So I didn't want to have only one or two episodes left and not be able to watch for five months. So I am waiting until I can actually watch the entire series. Katie, I think you made a prudent choice. And, uh, <laughs> and Sean, um, I want to take back a little bit what Bill said. I do think you should read the comic book first. Uh, find it online or you know, order it from Amazon. I do not think you should watch the movie I don't like the movie. I don't think the movie did a very good job. Bill, you can disagree, obviously. And if you think it's important for folks to spend an extra no, two and a half I hours just, with that, I think, that's fine. But. Yeah, it's a different conversation. I think the movie, it does. It just it was one major thing that you got to go to the comic book for that he that Zack Snyder screwed up. Otherwise, I think <laughs> it's got a great palate. How you like them apples, kid? <laughs> the colors are good. And I think, but, and that what that leads into, Everything about the TV series on HBO is amazing. That it's not just a retelling of the story. You're working with a great. Uh, uh, it's not just a retelling of the story. You're telling a new story, but in that world, it builds on the comic book in all the right ways, in my opinion. And the episodes are really difficult. I mean, to get back to what we're talking about here, like I think. Oh, you're skid. Yeah, you're uh, you yeah. Right about the episodes are really difficult. I lost you. Okay. I don't know if know. everybody else did too. A little bit. Thanks for the <clears throat> thanks, Katie. Katie, you can co-host anytime. You're on it. <laughs> you got it. But uh, no, so I think you read the comic book, you watch the series. It's well worth your time. Uh, Bill, what did you think of it? I I adored it. I loved it. I I was. Uh, I mean, I, I try to separate myself as the fanboy and say the different. Uh, well, Alan Moore doesn't want us to watch this show, but it, uh, but it was great. It was fantastic. I think that the episodes that are nominated, uh, specifically uh, the one about with the water, the ice, it's summer and we're running out of ice. I, I, not only do I just love the title of the episode, it was a great episode. Um, I Is know. Good. Is that the episode where they drop the car? No, I think it's later than that. All right, I, don't I know. thought See, it was one. I thought it was one of the. Either way, it doesn't matter because it's one of those shows that 
where the episode nomination it almost seems silly because, well, it's because of the way the work is broken up. It's not because of the way the story flows because it's, you know, those, I love serialized shows. That's, and Damon has, you know, mastered it almost in the last 10, 15 years. And which, um, which episodes of the series are these two? Do you know? I gotta, I gotta do some cross-referencing. Maybe a quick See, it's It's very, it's confusing That's, the way they present it to us. Yeah, can you see a quick list and say which numbers these are? You guys can jump ahead and say with those Game of Thrones ones in a similar situation. There's two of those and which is which. Yeah, I remember which the Game of Thrones one is because that one's pretty famous, but I'm looking up the last of the Starks right now just to double check. Sorry, I'm doing the same thing on Watchmen. Do, do, oh, it's do, summer do. And, we're, and it's running out of ice is the first one. Okay. Is the pilot. That's right. And then... The uh the is the extraordinary in the finale. No, it's episode six. It's the the one where we find out about uh hooded justice. Oh interesting. Okay, okay. Thanks. All right. So let's pick up from there. So but let's so let's talk about the Watchmen ones for a while. It's interesting to me when an episode separates itself from other episodes on these nominating categories. Uh, it's summer and we're running out of ice is the premiere. Um, oftentimes, I think those episodes get more attention. Finales also get a lot of attention, but in this case, this extraordinary being, being, this extraordinary being told a very specific story in a really effective way, I thought, that to Stephen Williams' credit as the director, it, I thought it really came together. Yeah, I, I don't again and it goes to show how difficult it can be on television for multiple directors to work together of course the argument can also be made that at some points the actors are just directing the show because of it i think that's the where the skill of directing television has to really come in i guess with a showrunner i can honestly say i haven't done enough of it i just i have seen the way it works and can't imagine to create a truly solid project like this the way people have to work together Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Interestingly, and I don't know the situation, maybe one of you does, they don't have directorial teams. I guess they're probably using non-DGA teams for these, uh, and it's just the director happens to be DGA, and so is therefore, therefore eligible for the category. Exactly. They shoot all over, but, I mean, their base is Ireland, and I know the long night, I mean – I actually just worked with the DP from Game of Thrones for both of these episodes. Well, he wasn't the DP. He was the overarching DP for the final season. Uh, but so the long night apparently was upwards of 70 days, like 30 days of 20 days of nights. And then yeah. another 30 or 40 of second unit on stage while another unit was filming. So like, I think that, yeah, there were like 55 days and nights for the battle sequence. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> wow. it, it was insane. Uh, but so, yeah, they film uh, mostly in Ireland. And this would have been mostly in Ireland, both of these episodes. And so they, yeah, it's non-DGA work AD staff. Well, what do you guys think of this final season of Game of Thrones? Or do you think some of the negative publicity around the final season will hurt these as nominees? Even though, as you said, the work, it, whether it's well-received or not, or even whether it's well-written or not, doesn't take away from what that director team has to try to put together on something like this. I think, arguably, these are the best two episodes of the whole season. The Long Night, 
is one of the greatest sure. battle sequences ever. And I just have, I, I can still remember the image of being up high, looking down. And apparently it was Miguel's idea for this because it was written that, you know, they slowly see all these torches uh, get uh, extinguished. And it was Miguel's idea, we should see this from these point of view up high. And so you have this giant essential blackness as all of the Starks and their team with the torches are riding into battle. And then you just slowly watch the torches get extinguished as you can't see any of the players in the battle. And I just thought that was one of the scariest moments if you're going into battle, like, holy shit, our entire team is being decimated and you can't even see how or how you can help or all of the, I remember that image is fantastic. And then the last of the Starks is, the next day after they win the battle. Spoiler alert, they win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the episode of The Long Night as well is like, they did stuff in the, in the last season of the show and, and I'm sort of mixed on the overall of the, of the season. Didn't, it didn't necessarily stick the landing for me, but mm -hmm. there are some things within these episodes, um, both story-wise and directorially, that I just felt like were stunning. Not even like, you know, I mean, we have Disney Plus, we can watch Mandalorian now. We're sort of in this world where they're spending $25 million on an episode of something. Um, but to watch, to, to, to be sitting in my house and watch something created for television or not television, it's HBO, right? But I mean, it, it, it's like epic scale. Like I'm watching some of these things and thinking they should have put it in a theater. I mean, they, it should have been on an IMAX. It's and perfect. this was the episode that, in order to see anything, you had to see it on an IMAX. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, but, they, but they're I, I, also... I said that sounds bad, but I, I loved it and I understood it. And the frustration that the, the difficulty seeing it, to your point, Katie, is that it called, you know, oh my God, I can't see anything. Well, these guys can't see anything and they're running to their deaths. Yeah. Exactly. And, and there was also, the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if you remember, but in, in the long night, um, there's this whole sequence where Jon Snow is like running through an interior hallway and there are guys dropping from the ceiling onto him. And there's like, uh, Arya goes in this library and then all of a sudden the sound kind of cuts out. And there's this whole like basically zombie sequence, right? Of her trying to crawl around the floor and avoid white walkers on, on the other aisles. And I mean, I just was like, this is just epic, man. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Absolutely. And I will say, Bill, to your point of, you know, directors coming in on TV, based on, you know, all the things the showrunners have said about their experience when they started the show, it, this is a show where the directors are absolutely lending their sense of visualization to these guys who are telling the story but don't necessarily know how to convey, how to visualize it. So the directors are coming in and they absolutely are bringing their visualization. What if we did this? What if we did this? What if we did this? and then they're capitalizing on that. I think it's an interesting opportunity to make the point about directors in television who will go from show to show, but still build these reputations of being the folks that come in on these premiere shows. David Nutter, uh, who directed that Last of the Starks episode, I worked back on West Wing in the day. And it's no surprise to me that from uh, uh, season to season of show to show, that's the sort of career he's built. I'm not familiar with these other names. You mentioned uh, uh, what, I don't know if you worked, I'm not familiar with these other names. Have you guys worked with um, these other nominees? No, I just, no. I, 
I followed Miguel Sapochnik because he directed uh, called, okay, you hear Sorry. me? You could start, start again, Sean, your thing was staticky. Okay, um, I'm familiar, I've never worked with any of them, but I'm familiar with Miguel Sapochnik because he directed an episode for the show called The Battle of the Bastards, which again was like, I mean, it was just a mind blowing hour of television. Um, and I sort of thought like, whoever that guy is, he's gonna get plucked for features real soon because this is just epic filmmaking on, on television. Um, so as soon as, I think they, they sort of get in a situation where you get your sort of MVP type of people for these shows and they're like, yeah, when we, next time we have a big episode with horseback fighting and sword fights and you know mortars and stuff like that, we call it in these guys. Well, let's turn our attention to the series that is not on quite the epic scale, but is still getting quite a bit of positive buzz. Succession and the episode, This Is Not For Tears. I would argue Succession is still epic, not in battles and mortars, but This Is Not For Tears is the finale, which if you've watched it, takes place almost entirely on a massive yacht parked somewhere in the Mediterranean. So I think they normally film in New York and they clearly, I mean, this was not cheated, oh, New York Harbor for Mediterranean. Wow. This was Mediterranean. And that yacht, that yacht is massive. And I, I literally did think to myself, I can just imagine being the AD trying to like, don't walk in your shoes, but you, can, you have to have no open-toed shoes on set, but no <laughs> shoes allowed on the boat. Like, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> and it's, a good, also, uh, it's a good training, good DJ training question. Succession <laughs> exactly. is like, hey, the, we're going to do a bottle episode, but it's on a $90 million <laughs> yacht. <laughs> With helicopters and boats and islands. And, but I'm also looking at the team and wondering, I mean, I, I'm a little envious of the team if they all got to go to the Mediterranean to shoot this. And it was the finale, so they probably just hung out for a little bit afterwards because they didn't have to go back and shoot another episode. It doesn't yeah, the, mean the, it's... The first season did the same thing with England, where I was yes. like, oh, how nice of them to take the whole crew with them, mm -hmm. but they didn't. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't do a show about a billionaire family and not really have, I mean, that's part of like the thing about the show is every set, every car that's, that they use, every, you know, they're yes. in helicopters or private jets, and you're just like, I mean, right. you can tell Those costumes, the suits are going to be $2,000 Hyogo Boss suits on every single guy. I mean... That costume budget has to be insane. Well, but this is a nice opportunity. This is going to show this nice opportunity maybe for a DGA pickup, which is where they use a non-DGA crew for doing the bulk of filming, but they do some reshoots back in LA or somewhere where there's a couple of DGA folks. And because there are no regular crew um, in the category that folks end up picking up the, the DGA credit on that. I don't know the case on this. I, if these folks were the... Uh, regular crew on the show and they all went out on that yacht or where they did it. Um, well, but, yeah, uh, I mean, they are, I think they are based out of like Silver Cup Studios or whatever mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. I think they usually shoot in New York, so they do probably mm -hmm. have a good East Coast AD team. Yeah. That makes sense. And there was a small piece of this episode that was supposed to take place, you know, in Congress. So it was probably a stage that was built in New York for five minutes worth of filming. So even if... <laughs> They didn't take the team. Yep, they actually filmed five minutes worth. Well, what if they filmed the whole thing out on the yacht and then just the people involved in those shots, which is the AD team and all the crew, exactly. those folks have to go back to New York. <laughs> like, hey, tomorrow, God, we're listen. filming there tomorrow. 6 a.m. call, reset. The yacht is big enough. We're just going to build Congress in the bottom of the yacht. 
room for that as well. All right. So, well, uh, interesting category, interesting selection of uh, episodes here from which to choose. Let's move on to our next section, Outstanding Directorial Achievement. Let's move on to our next award for comedy series. Here we've got the best represented is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which has three of the episodes, specifically Dan Adius directed It's the 60s Man. Uh, Amy Sherman Palladino directed It's Comedy or Cabbage. Daniel Palladino directed Marvelous Radio. And so three of the five episodes. Next up is Bill Hader. He's nominated for the Barry episode, Ronnie Lilly. And then finally rounding it out, David Mandel directed the Veep episode titled Veep. Now, I have not seen the latest season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I am familiar with the show, watched about a season of a half of it. Um, but I have seen these other shows. Why don't you guys start? Who has seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Three nominations. That's a lot of credit in this category. Uh, I have seen it. I am a fan of the show. I I understand the detractions of it, and I don't disagree with them. I still, I'm a big fan of uh, Amy Sherman Palladino's writing style. I think that's very clever. I was a fan of Gilmore Girls, same thing. Uh, I am a fan of the fact that they, they do some pretty impressive wonders, which is always interesting. Um, there's something about this show where the characters are great. I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with three out of five nominations out of all of the comedies in the world being better than all the others. This is a show where I think the writing is better than the direction. Um, I mean, when you look at like The Good Place, when you look at some of the other comedies that are out there, I'm, I'm not sure that three out of five is really worth it. This feels to me like maybe a, a fan base voting for all of these episodes and mass like just that i'm gonna my nominees are gonna be all of these i i wonder and this is because it's interesting that yeah three out of the five um opportunities here are for uh folks who worked on that show that being and said two I, of them are named paladino yeah, <laughs> and also they're really good this could also be very smart marketing in that the second or this season was released probably about two weeks before nominations came out. So all of these were very fresh in voters' minds. Yeah, uh, people who know me will think this is crazy just because I watch so much television, but I actually haven't seen any of these. I'm fans, I'm a fan of all three shows and uh, I, I love uh, Maisel. I mean, any show that has Lenny Bruce as a character is just yeah. hands down a good yes. show. And that actor is so good, too. He won he's an Emmy. so good. Yes, he's so great in it. It was great on The Deuce, too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, here's another category that is, you know, Amazon was able to buy their way into a, uh, a, a, the HBO category mm -hmm. with uh, Barry and, uh, yeah. and Veep. You're right, because Marvel's Mrs. Maisel is on Prime Video. But you're right, these... Networks, if these channels are spending a lot of money on on producing high quality television, and I think that that also draws the eyes and attention as it goes forward. But yeah, so the other two are both HBO shows, Barry and Veep. Um, I thought these were both great episodes. I mean, I think that uh, Barry, I've enjoyed the whole time. We all know Bill Hader from his days as a production assistant. He's not returning my calls anymore. He did not want to join <laughs> us today for, for talking about this. But uh, what did you guys think of uh, Barry, Veep, both? 
the HBO, the HBO well, underdogs, if you will, in this category. <laughs> it's fun to see it that way. I think Ronnie Lilly is one of the funniest episodes of television ever created. It is genius. And it's also very well directed. It's not just the writing. It's, there's stunt stuff happening with a minor that I, I don't know how they did it. I thought it was so well done. I, I hope that this wins. Veep might win just as a, hey, thanks for you know, seven great seasons. But Ronnie Lilly, in my mind, is 100% worth it. Yeah, the episode was almost, almost felt like it was a step aside from the main story. It just became this whole other sort of surrealistic thing, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. That'd be my choice, too, I think. And I, and I like Miss Maisel as well. I don't, I, I've never watched Veep, um, and, I, and I love Miss Maisel. But, I mean, in this category, when I look just, just in terms of the sheer insanity of what they were doing, um, I don't yeah. think anything could beat what Bill Hader and his team did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave my vote open in hopes that Bill will return my calls. Uh, <laughs> but other than, other than that, I, I, I might vote for Bill. I, I do, but, you know, before we move on, I, w- I want to say that uh, the Veep finale uh, was actually really well done. And I think that they did nail their landing on that show. This is the finale, right, guys? I'm it not is. messing that up. That's it the, is, yeah. That, uh, I, and I didn't know how they were going to do it. I had sort of a um, love-hate relationship with Veep. I actually don't uh, really appreciate that sort of cringe humor that is the specialty of that show and, and you know, other, other shows before it. But then I worked on it a little bit, and so maybe that makes me biased. Not towards the end once they moved back to L.A., obviously, but I didn't know what they were going to do, and I thought that uh, they pulled it off really well. To what credit is that um, explicitly for uh, the director, and to what credit is, a f- and to what credit does the pulling that off belong to a fantastic ensemble in the writing? I think this one's a little harder to break up. But uh, the thing about Barry is, and I really enjoyed that show. He's the creator and co-writer, and uh, that Bill Hader is involved in every aspect of that show. It seems, even when it's not full credit for some part, it's his show and he's making it work. And so, yeah, I also really like that episode. I've, I've seen him uh, give equal credit to uh, his co-creator. creator. Yeah, guy. Alec Berg, yeah. Well, Alec should get himself one of these uh, directorial team uh, titles <laughs> so he can uh, actually be listed up here. But all right, uh, so moving on from there, let's talk about uh, movies for television and limited series. So I'll, I'll jump in if you want. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, so, you know, as obviously the, the nominees, is, uh, if, you, if you want, you can read them off first, Kid, or? That's probably a good idea. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. go. Okay, so. So here we've got six nominees. Um, Ava DuVernay was nominated for When They See Us, which was on Netflix. Vince Gilligan uh, is nominated for El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, again for Netflix. And then Thomas Kael is nominated for an episode of Fosse Verdun, Nowadays, um, along with two other directors, Minky Spiro, is it Minky Spiro? It is Spiro? Spiro. Mm-hmm. Minky Spiro, who did the episode All I Care About Is Love, and Jessica Yu, who did the episode Glory. And then rounding out the category is Johan Rank. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Johan Rank for Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries. 
So I guess, you know, if you watch the Emmys or any of the other shows recently, I think for me, um, Chernobyl has sort of swept the board. Um, and I, I really thought it was excellent um, in most cases. But um, on a personal level, I didn't find it incredibly moving, you know, emotional. Um, when I watched Ava DuVernay's When They See Us, it, I, I watched all four episodes right away, binged them, and it, I, I felt like I'd been pummeled, knowing that it's a true story. And all, you know, Chernobyl is as well, obviously, but it felt like you know, there were characters in Chernobyl that I know were an amalgam of different people, and um, When They See Us was very straightforward, and I just felt like it, it got under my skin in a way that nothing else has um, in, in terms of being a, a, a limited series or movie made for TV. So um, out of this category, I mean, I, I, and I love Breaking Bad too. It was nice to see that character back on TV. I don't, I don't really know. I didn't watch Fosse Verdon because um, we don't get FX over here. But um, yeah, I think for me, when they see us was, was a profound uh, watch and a very impressive achievement recreating early 1980s New York City in the way that she did was very impressive. Actually, the only uh, movie for television or limited series I've seen on the list is the El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. Um, Chernobyl, uh, for whatever reason, it's on the list and it's getting so much attention. I'm sure I'll end up watching it sooner or later, but whenever my wife and I sit down to start something new, it's like, do we want to get into that right now? And I actually, I lived in, in Europe at the time. My dad was in the army and I was a I was a kid when that was going down in the, the years since. So I don't know, for some reason, it, it's feeling like something I have to watch. And there's just so many things to watch, particularly this time of year. Well, Chernobyl, um, I, and, and, Chernobyl mm -hmm. and When They See Us, are they're, they're both very hard to watch. That's, um, because, because you understand that this is something that happened. In Chernobyl's case, the, the, just the, the lies that the government told that allowed these people to remain so close to the fallout or when they see us, knowing that these these little boys are getting railroaded by yeah, by it, it's mm. tantamount to sending out ten year olds in cardboard uniforms. Like <laughs> it's it's oh my god, what did they do? And uh, <laughs> and I wish that uh, we had known that it was pronounced Kiev before uh, uh, Chernobyl came on HBO. Kiev. <laughs> yeah, I I, it's, I just listened to too much Rachel Maddow. Um, <laughs> But uh, so Bill, have you yeah, I've seen everything. Uh, I've seen everything. <laughs> um, no, Chernobyl was amazing. Like you know, it's the it's an age thing, and the fact that I was old enough that I was aware of what was going on over there. Not even thinking, not even fully aware of fallout at the time. Just, I mean, the scene on the bridge uh, with the people That's watching the, scene, the yeah. fire with the yeah. hair like wisping and the, and the yeah little... yeah it reminds me of the weight of the. The, of Captain Tripp spreading in uh, the stand, like it was just the most horrifying image when you when the terror when the horror is you can't see it, and but it's still there. Yeah, um, and one and one of the people on the bridge is a is a mother with a newborn, and you're just going, oh yeah. my god, get out of there. Well, yeah, that baby saved her. I mean, it's an incredible story that needs to be told just as much though as when they see us, because as Sean was saying, I mean. You know, this this shit isn't taught in school and it needs to be taught. It needs to be told. And it's, how else is it never going to happen again? 
because we know because there's so many movies about it, it's happened plenty since then. I worked with Ava, not that she would ever remember me, uh, on Biker Boys a million years ago when she was a publicist, and now she's directing this. So I'm, I'm good for her. It's a it's a true achievement. Well, Fosse Verdun getting three of the nominations. Maybe again, it's a case of, uh, as we talked about before, we're just a adamant fan base. But has anybody seen it? Do you guys Can you guys speak to the quality of the program? It's on my list because, again, it's Sam Rockwell. So national treasure, Sam Rockwell. And I'm looking, I just now realized that I know a couple of the ADs on the team. So I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta text them. Because I also, I was lucky enough to work before with uh, Mickey Spiro and Jessica Yu on two different projects. And they're both fantastic directors and excellent at their job. So I didn't even realize they did episodes of this, but I haven't seen it yet. So I can't really speak to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's Ryan Murphy produced it and he's sort of attached to anything prestige these days in television in terms of these movies with, I can't think of the last one he did, but he did another one about a, you know, an, a, an actress late in her career and got a lot of heat on it. So I think that certainly plays into this in terms of, you know, a membership saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we like that guy, the guy that creates all this stuff. So um, mm-hmm. not to take anything away from the nominees, but. It's a, I mean, it is a great, as a Bob Fosse fan. So wait, am I the only one that's seen it? I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's just you, yeah. Bill. I am a huge Bob Fosse fan. All That Jazz is one of my top five. And I already said in, of all time, and I already said something about Lenny. I think Lenny Bruce may be, the movie Lenny may be Dustin Hoffman's best performance. This is another one of those, like, people need to know about him. And, uh, and the womanizing, like, he never, he never hid that. It was, from what I understand, part of who he was, and it's a major part of the storytelling. I think that the, all that jazz is basically his version, and this is uh, his daughter's version, was my understanding from reading. And, you know, again, we've, it's, she wasn't a show daughter, but she was. Like, I don't think she wasn't uh, on stage, but she lived in that world with that father and mother. I mean, I can't, uh, it's another, it's another story that I think people need to know about who he was. I mean, at this point, I grew up in an age where people knew Bob Fosse by a Paula Abdul video, which I think (laughs) is uh, really sad. (laughs) So I'm all for pumping his name up and telling people who he is. No, it's interesting though. uh, uh premiere miniseries, right? But they have filmed it looking like traditional television in the sense that I'm guessing there's two first ADs. So it looks like they split back and forth, but the rest of the crew is the same. Um, looks like they shot it on a pretty traditional filming schedule rather than what we've seen on some of these others. Well, that's what I think Ryan Murphy has gotten into the habit of doing is 10 episode seasons that are shot like traditional TV shows, but each season is essentially standalone seasons. But they're in the same genre. Like he'll do American Horror Story. And so you have different horror story, the same group of actors, but it's one season unto itself. American Crime Story. So you have a very specific crime, but one season explores one crime and that's it. So he does that like with the American Crime Story and or the the one with the two women, Betty, uh, Susan Sarandon, Jessica Lange, feud, the two people battling. Betty, Betty Crawford, yeah. Yes. So yeah, that's his style, like 10 episodes, one season, but it's shot like a traditional TV show, but each season is essentially a miniseries unto itself. Bill, having seen it, do you think that these three episodes particularly stand out? Like, would you choose these three off the top of your head? Or is it another one where the series overall carries in a way that... Yeah, 
it, it, it was just chronological. There wasn't a lot of flashback or anything. And uh, to the binging habit, it gets harder to... Uh, I didn't realize I was going to need to know uh, that, that who directed these three episodes. Yeah, I, Well, you know, I, we do that with film, but we don't do that with TV. You know, we kind of, these guys, uh, the unseen heroes. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering, guys, if you know just uh, how it works. I mean, so you have When They See Us, you have El Camino, and you have Chernobyl, which are not episodes of something. These people are being nominated, I guess, for the entire piece, right? Um, they must have done the whole show. Is is that what it is that they're that that they did every episode? The presumption here is that Johan Rennick did uh, all of Chernobyl. All of and he's Chernobyl. been nominated okay. for it. Otherwise, he did, and he did. he did. He okay. did because I watched uh, I watched all the little behind the scenes watching him try to speak English. Okay, okay. So it's interesting though that they would put you know for example you know Ava's done four episodes, Johan Rennick did whatever four or five or six of them, and yet. Yankee Spyro, Jessica, you only have this one, you know, within, within the whole. Well, I think this might be just, frankly, an outdated category. Because it used to be movies for television limited series back when it was like movies of the week. And maybe you did a miniseries and one director for two episodes or like three episodes as a miniseries, but it's still one director. And now that there's so many different things that technically qualify as limited series, I think we might need to look at changing this category and either breaking into two or changing the qualifications. I mean, maybe it's a matter of dramatic series and comedy series not being limited to series. Like there might be something on that side. Like really the Fozzie Verdun work and even the Chernobyl work should probably be up in those categories um, as appropriate rather than having something, something set aside. It's hard to get rid of categories. You guys can look it up on Wikipedia how things have come in and stayed or what <laughs> has dropped off or not. We're going to move on to another one, and I do uh, I think it's going to be more hit or miss on what folks have seen going forward. The next category on their list is Variety Talks News Sports. There are two categories here. The first is regularly scheduled programming. So we're talking about specific episodes that stand out um, from the directing perspective. Uh, Paul G. Casey is nominated for – a Bill Maher episode, uh, 1730 on HBO. Nora S. Gerard is uh, on a CBS Sunday morning, the 40th anniversary episode. Jim Hopkinson nominated for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert episode featuring uh, A. Ocasio-Cortez and Incubus. And then Don Roy King nominated for a Saturday Night Live episode, one with Eddie Murphy and Lizzo. And then finally, Paul Penolino and Christopher... Werner or Werner, they directed an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver the, about uh, slap suits, also for HBO. I have seen the Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I've seen the Saturday Night Live episode, um, but that's it of these five. This is another one that feels a little bit outdated because the other three, I'm like, I, like the real time with Bill Maher, like I don't know what was different about this episode than any of the other episodes. Is it still just a round table with like yeah, five no, people? He's, like, yeah, he's got a pretty standard operational right. plan for that show. So I don't recall, I watch the show from time to time, but I don't recall him really ever varying from the plan. Yeah. And I, this I think it's just one of those categories that I, I think we're, we just don't, I, I've never done live television. Uh, so, I mean, that's a whole nother world. I know, you know, the joke to me is they're sitting there going, 
one, <laughs> two, <laughs> back to one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, I know it's more than that, but you know, I'm sure they make fun of us for, having to go to some different place to work every day. Well, I don't know if, uh, you know, another thing that you can check out on YouTube, which is pretty phenomenal. There's somebody who has put screen next to screen of an SNL episode as they go to break. And then what's happening that you're not seeing during the commercial. And I mean, it, it like yeah. floored me. I was like, wow, man. Cause I have no idea what I've never gone to a taping. I don't know what that stage space looks like in 30 Rock and how big it is or how big their flats are with, that they pull in. But man, and, and you can hear them counting it down like 30 seconds, 20 seconds, and seeing the walls disappear and the new and a rug coming in, you know, and they literally get down to like one second before they're back. And then everyone suddenly disappears and it's just the cast. So yeah. I mean, when I look at this, I'm like, I mean, you know, if you look at Colbert, we obviously know what Colbert does. It's, it's yeah. basically, you know, the same thing the Letterman did all those years. And yeah, they may have skits or whatever, Bill Maher, but I mean, you know, Eddie Murphy, the Christmas episode of SNL was fantastic. It really was. And I will say, I hate taking away from the director, and I know that they do a lot here, but that also has to do a lot with a lot of the pre-production that's not just the dismantling because that's on the stage crew it's knowing which skit to put in which order like okay we can dismantle this set within two minutes so we have to put it right before this or we you have all of three mini stages and which set to put where to, in order to taking apart this so it's i think that's more in the prep of how to stage this so that you can accomplishment accomplish it in a 90 minute break and know that you have time to do something and the John Oliver one with slap suits, there's a whole musical number in that one that. Oh, right. That's the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why I got nominated because otherwise it's just him talking to a camera. I mean, I yeah. don't know what's different. Yeah. It's a good point that that itself is what people are going to remember about that one. And that was a huge effort on that. Like that's uh, and I'm surprised for something like that. It's interesting because the team is associate director and stage managers. This is a category where I think as far as the execution of a live you know, program that we're talking about or, you know, live to tape that that team is really important, but I'm surprised that they didn't need more assistant directors for doing like that bit on that, or that's sort of more of what we would see as a, you know, traditional sort of filming bit. I guess. I think, well, if, if you treat um, Times Square as a stage and you never turn it around, then you're essentially shooting it like you would a stage music musical right there. I'm sure that's probably how they did it, but I, I could be totally wrong. They could have actually farmed it out to an AD team and literally just go shoot this. And then they're taking the credit for all I know mm. could be, but they maybe they didn't completely <laughs> deserve the credit. I hate to take it away from them. Clearly they're nominated. Uh, and, but yeah, that dance number was actually very impressive. All right. Well, if you're listening to this and you work in live television, we have a podcast episode for you in the future. Drop me a note. Let's move on to the next category here. As mentioned before, also in variety talk news or sports, but this time, specials. And in this category, um, we have a shared nomination. James Burroughs and Andy Fisher are nominated for Live in Front of a Studio Audience, Norman Lear's All in the Family, and The Jeffersons. That was on ABC. So yeah, it's two, two entire episodes combined into one. Oh, was it? Okay. That's why there's two directors. It was, it's the, episode, it's the spin-off episode of All in the Family and the pilot of The Jeffersons. Oh, okay, okay. 
Um, next up, uh, Spike Jones uh, is nominated for directing the Netflix special Aziz Ansari right now. Stan Lathan is nominated for a Netflix special Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones. Linda Mendoza nominated again for a Netflix special Wanda Sykes, Not Normal. And then finally, uh, Glenn Weiss on ABC uh, directed the 91st Annual Academy Awards. Well, I think, you know, in terms of these, uh, usually, I mean, even I know the name Glenn Weiss, and usually, he's usually the guy that walks home with the award, so. <laughs> oh, is he the one that's directing and they give the the award to? He's directing the show? Yeah, and usually, and he's also, I believe he's also the director who arranged to propose to his uh, girlfriend during the live oh. broadcast of the Oscars, that, uh, not last year, but the prior year, I think. So he's, you know, he made himself into a little, celebrity for for a few minutes there but you know i i would imagine and especially if so this is the last academy awards this was the one with no host mm -hmm. um which i think they're repeating again this year um yeah they are that that was probably uh you know something he'd never done in his long association with the academy so imagine that was kind of tough to figure out it was not a selling point for me on this academy awards last year though i gotta say the lack of host it it's curious. He probably will not get my vote in this. However, I haven't seen a lot of the other stuff, so it's hard to say. And I'm looking at the website right now, and what's interesting is for the double nomination for James Burroughs and Andy Fisher, under James Burroughs' names, it's, not, it's for On the Family and the Jeffersons directed by. For Andy Fisher, it's for Live in Front of a Studio Audience directed by. Huh. So I'm wondering if there's some kind of combination there that James directed the actual staging of things and somebody else directed the filming of it. It, it seems mm, interesting. Maybe. That is, that's uh, that's probably what it, I mean, that, that well said. <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree with everything. <laughs> that one, I, are you guys familiar with the actual program? Did you guys see it? I did uh, because I grew up watching the reruns of those episodes. So that's uh, what Katie was saying makes perfect sense because if you treat uh, three camera television the way you treat a play you credit the original director before they're blocking I guess at that okay. point but you know again it's one of those it's the, the category I have no experience in so I can't speak to it but I, I, I liked the episode it was good it was basically uh, Norman Lear might die any day what can we do <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, you know, it was great. It was fun. It was great to see other people playing those characters the way it is to see a revival of a play. But I mean, you know. I'm interested, uh, doubly so, in what Spike Jones might have brought to the Aziz Ansari special. I haven't watched these. Um, obviously, they're available on Netflix and pretty easy to get to. But uh, I love Spike Jones movies. I love a lot of his commercials. I mean, for what it comes down to it. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious, normally in these comedy specials, there's not that much, it seems, again, an area where I don't have any personal experience and would love to have someone talk more about it, but what is particular about the directing on these, or on that one particular, even on top of on, that? On this particular uh, stand-up special, he has a 15-minute confessional piece about uh, what's been going on in the world as far as Me Too and him are concerned. And... Uh, I would argue, I'm, you never see the audience for that bit. Uh, it's entirely possible they shot that. It's a, a lot of steady cam. 
I don't know how this works because I've never done it, but a lot of Steadicam on the stage walking around the performer where my AD brain goes, they did that the next day because, because I mean, as an audience member, I'd be really pissed off if a guy with a Steadicam rig was walking <laughs> in front of the comedian the entire time. People don't understand what that means, but you know, it's, you know, you can't see anything if that's happening, and that's half the show. So, are they doing steady cam? I thought a lot of times they're using like long lenses on that stuff. That one specifically, he's like he gets into a really like I. It's as soon as you said it, it came back to me. He, it's very tight and personal, and you can see the backstage. It's well lit. Like I remember thinking, where is everybody? <laughs> where are all the all the backstage people in this shot? So hmm. they may have done that the next day with its what? own setup. Have you guys seen it? They must have had a reason if they brought Spike Jones in, unless they're just really good friends. And it's like, Spike, you doing anything tomorrow? I got this special <laughs> you want to direct I for me. <laughs> As Spike Lee's done a lot of uh, live television too for this kind of like, I, uh, I, one man shows for John Leguizamo specifically, but, uh, and Ted Demi used to always do uh, Dennis Leary's stand up program. So, you know, it's a, maybe, uh, theater director i mean you know movie directors do it because they're like oh this is easy shit who knows (laughs) let's move on to the next category reality programs we've got five nominees here hisham abed is nominated for the queer eye episode black girl magic jason cohen nominated for the encore episode annie john favreau nominated for the chef show hog island is the episode Ashley S. Gorman was nominated for the First Responders Live episode 103. And Patrick McManus is nominated for the American Ninja Warrior episode 1116 Las Vegas National Finals Night 4. I don't watch a lot of reality programs. I have seen the Queer Eye that Netflix is doing, and I think it's very well done. It's interesting to see uh, sort of as a director how that comes together. What did you guys think of these? What have you seen? Uh, I'm a big fan of American Ninja Warrior, so I've seen that. I didn't realize it would qualify for a directorial nomination, especially night four of the finals kind of feels like they've already figured out where they're placing their cameras for <laughs> nights one through three. They're not changing those. Um, that one feels like it might be more in the editing, like they find the right footage to put it together to really tell this story. But I've, I haven't seen any of the others. I yeah, no, have not seen any of these. Uh, I, I watched the first season of the rebooted Queer Eye, and I agree with you, Skid. I liked it. Um, you know, it was clear they were trying to make you cry at the end of every episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't speak to any of the others. Yeah, and I haven't touched a Ninja Warrior since they left the true Mount Midoriyama. <laughs> <laughs> when you're watching Ninja Warrior with subtitles, that's when you know you're dedicated. <laughs> and... Uh, I haven't done much any of the American ones. What do you think John Favreau was doing on the chef show? Well, I know he's a, you know, he's a big chef guy. He used to Count do the he, money. Count the money. To, he used to do a uh, uh, Favreau used to do a show called Dinner for Five, where he would invite sort of filmmaking luminaries to sit down and break bread, and it was not uh, formatted in any way. They would literally just have a conversation. Um, and I haven't seen this show, but I would imagine it's similar. He also did a movie called Chef that he wrote and directed where he plays a guy who like goes out in a food truck and he's, he, you know, he's obviously, he loves food and he loves shooting food and he loves talking to people. So um, probably what he's doing there. 
We might have to look that one up. Yeah, I do remember the food truck movie as as well as as you started talking. So it was about. a fun film. Nice, yeah. nice movie. I really enjoyed it. Other than maybe Sofia Vergara being his ex-wife. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That. But everything else about it, I absolutely loved. Hey, when you write and direct it, if you did that, uh, <laughs> you, can, you can do what you like. It's from, his, it's from his perspective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of our exes look like that from our own perspective. <laughs> all right, next category, children's programs. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, dive in right now before you name the nominees and i'm just going to call it for sesame street because who doesn't love sesame street <laughs> yes exactly. and not only sesame street but jack jameson has been nominated for sesame street's 50th anniversary special all right that's not listed first but we'll name it first uh, also dean israelite has are you afraid of the dark an episode called part one submitted for your approval luke matheny is nominated for a Ghost Rider episode named Ghost in Wonderland Part 1. Amy Schatz is nominated for Song of Parkland. That was put out by HBO Documentary Films, it says. And then Barry uh, Sun. Yeah. I saw that. Well, Bill, we're going to come back to it. And then finally, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld, A Series of Unfortunate Events, the episode called Penultimate Peril Part 1. That ran on Netflix. Yeah, you know, Sesame Street might be the runaway favorite, but I think a lot of folks, myself included, haven't seen any of these. Bill, yeah. though, but you Bill, say Bill, you, oh, you know what? So I, 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 no, I didn't actually, because it realized you said Parkland, right? Yeah, I yeah, was Parkland. thinking about the one about the kids in high school next to the Twin Towers, which I guess well, wasn't really a kids show. No, but I think Parkland is probably about the high school that got shot up, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's so children's yeah. not happy children's just educational children's yeah maybe mark? educational yeah that's yeah. interesting I mean, if, if they if they follow the the young girl who sort of became the the, the leader of the movement i think it'd probably be interesting although again yeah you're right if it's for for kids they have to sort of like water that down a bit do we need to add a young adult category <laughs> to the children's uh section no we just need to put a star after it the more you know I mean, I'd like to. I'd like to see that song of Parkland at least, because yeah. as as compared to the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street, we're talking about different levels. Exactly, and uh, let's also look at some of these names. I mean, Din, Dean Israelite, I worked with on the movie Power Rangers, and now he's directing a Nickelodeon TV show. And then you have Barry Sonnenfeld directing an episode for Netflix. I mean, well, the the um, the series of unfortunate events is a is a very big budget show yes. for netflix with uh neil patrick harris so right i'm not so surprised that they got barry to come back to the floor and, and do that but right and then luke is actually the husband of a really good friend of mine so i'm super happy that he got nominated <laughs> you, you have more and more calls to make katie I do. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be very you're going to be very busy catching up katie i'm glad we were able to put all these in front of you so let's move on to our final category commercials uh first nominee is frederick bond he did a commercial named Lighter Than Air for the HP Elite Dragonfly. He also did a commercial called Take It Lightly for Coca-Cola Light. And he did a commercial called Nat for iPhone. Spike Jones, as we mentioned earlier in the variety programming, is also up for commercials. He did Dream It for Squarespace, and he did The New Normal for MedMed. Mark Malloy has been nominated for his commercial Underdogs, which is for Apple. Ridley Scott did the commercial The Seven Worlds, for Hennessy XO. 
And then Dougal Wilson did the commercial Train for AT&T. You guys, I don't watch a lot of TV with commercials anymore. So <laughs> these are not pushing their way into my consciousness. But how about you guys? You caught any of these? I don't think I, I wouldn't know them by title, but certainly I've probably seen all of the Apple commercials either during one of their presentations or, you know, online. I may have seen the AT&T commercial as well. And I do know that first AD, he's a, he's a feature first. I think he did La La Land. Yeah, he did. That guy did uh, Dougal Wilson's commercial. So I don't know any of these offhand, but um, you know, I actually think we're, we're circling back in an interesting time where commercials are starting to tell stories, um, which is kind of cool as opposed to feeling like they're hawking products. You're actually, you know, they realize they have to do something now to get your attention. I'm actually, I, maybe it wasn't last year, but I'm surprised Spike Jones's commercial uh, for Apple isn't here because he did one with uh, FK twigs that is heard dancing around this apartment that keeps stretching. And, and oh, was, that was awesome. That yeah. Commercial. Incredible. Incredible. So maybe it yeah. just wasn't this year, but I, I do think that commercials are getting very inventive in the way that they present their products these days. And I'm calling it now. We'll watch for the, uh, the new iPhone 11 commercial being nominated next year. Cause yeah. I, I mean, iPhone makes well, Apple, makes really great ads. They know how to they tell do. a story to sell their product. It's, and you get sucked into watching this ad for two minutes. And you're like, wow, that was a fun little story. And it turns out it's about a product. Yeah, I mean, and aside from Ridley Scott and Spike Jones, I don't know these other names of these directors, but you know, Apple also does this thing where they find people on YouTube who mm -hmm. go out and test their products and shoot interesting stuff and they basically draft them and be like, okay, take your iPhone, but we'll pay you some money. And now you go out and shoot like, you know, Shanghai or something and just get shots of the streets and shots of the nature. And they, they are really sort of revolutionizing what a commercial can be because all they have to do is tag the Apple logo at the end of it, you know? And I'm also looking at the list and realizing Peter was also the first AD on nap for Frederick bond and the first mm. AD for Frederick for uh, lighter than air. So Peter mm. double Peter, nominee doing well. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He'll be very disappointed if he doesn't win. Then he's, <laughs> he's if he cancels canceling, himself canceling out. Canceling himself out. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, that's our last category. I think that's going to wrap on the show. Thank you very much for being here, everybody. Happy to be here. Thanks, nice to see you guys. Talk yeah, to good to see you guys. <laughs> so that'll finish up our review of the DGA nominations. Listeners, our next series of episodes is going to be focused on the Oscars. We'll have technical experts discussing the more technical categories. Hope you'll join us. In the meantime, you can send email to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. I also appreciate your feedback via iTunes, where your ratings and comments really do help us reach new listeners. And Facebook, where, for your visual entertainment, I post photos and other behind-the-scenes materials and podcasts below the line. Finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter or Instagram. It's at pod below the line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Thanks for listening. Join us again soon.